2: Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times.
3: And I'm Greg Cutt. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we're going to celebrate the one-note wonders of rock. These bands may have only one trick, but it's a great one. Plus, we'll review the highly anticipated new album from the Queen of Pop.
2: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news.
4: I keep on falling in-
3: Big news in the record industry this week is the uh, resignation of a man whose name we've invoked many, many times in this show, Jim, over the (laughs) over the last ten years. We tried to explain who he was before. Absolutely, Clive Davis, who is now seventy six years old, a man who has uh, had more comebacks than Lazarus. Uh, (laughs) He has been proclaimed dead and come back, and yet again to resurrect himself and become. uh, I think uh, the most potent example of what the twentieth century record industry was all about. In other words a man who sunk huge amounts of money into marketing divas Whitney Houston Alicia Keys uh, Kelly Clarkson uh, Justin Timberlake who's a bit of a diva himself yeah and, and lately Leona Lewis creating these pop artists the old-fashioned way sinking lots of money into marketing lots of money into videos lots of money into radio payola and and creating stars well
2: the accusations when he launched Alicia Keys who we heard coming in that was to establish his Label J Records and Alicia Keys. He actually had his employees going out and buying copies of her album at the store so that she would debut higher on the chart he was spending his own money to
3: buy his own records exactly, estimates uh, rank, range from 14 million to 20 million dollars that Clive Davis spent on breaking Alicia Keys and she now has a 3.4 million selling record on the charts, her third one, she's she's a huge success for him, how much money he spent making her a success has become <laughs> an issue <laughs>
2: well that's the problem, and
3: that's, that's the reason that uh, people believe that he was moved aside as the uh, head of the Sony BMG Music Entertainment Division to be replaced by his second-in-command, Barry Weiss, a younger executive with a little bit more frugal outlook on how to break artists. Uh, Clive Davis is really kind of the last example of that old-fashioned business, and frankly, they can't afford him. Well, he did some good things in his career. You know, he signed Patti Smith.
2: He was instrumental to the Kinks. Ray Davies dropped his name uh, when we interviewed him. But I think that for signing and creating Barry Manilow alone... (laughs) There's a special spot in the underworld (laughs) reserved for Clive Davis.
4: Oh, fear the hearts of men are failing. For these are latter days we know.
1: The Great Depression now is spreading. God's word declared it would be so. Greg, I know that's a
2: song you love dearly. It's Uncle Tupelo's version of No Depression. We're talking about it. We're playing it because we're depressed, <laughs> a, And number two, we're going to talk about No Depression in particular in a second. Why are we depressed? Uh, because the thing that we have devoted our lives to, I mean, you know, we work at the newspapers. And that gets us paid. We do radio because we love it. but uh, you know print journalism about music is really having a very hard time even bigger trouble is what's going on in the magazine world in the last year we have seen the demise of several great independent music magazines Punk Planet out of Chicago, covered the, the the punk underground. The indie rock and, and dance world magazine Resonance is gone. Harp magazine is gone and no depression. What's more, in the big leagues, ad revenues are down, way down and plummeting. Blender, down 9% from uh, first quarter of 2007. Rolling Stone, down 27%. Vibe, down 19%. The only magazine that's been up has been Spin, according to uh, the uh, trade publications, and that's just because they'd been down for so long before that that they're bouncing back a little bit. But nowhere near where they were at the beginning of the new millennium, much less during the mid-'90s. And their existence may soon be threatened as well. We decided to turn to a colleague of ours, Peter Blackstock, a co-founder of and editor of No Depression, a magazine that covered the alternative country genre, among other things, and to try to get some perspective on this. Welcome to Sound Opinions, Peter. Sorry it's under such sad circumstances.
1: Yeah, it's uh, been uh, sort of a roller coaster last uh, couple of months, uh, some some ups and downs, but we just got our last issue out. and. Uh, We're really happy with with how it came out, and we have a couple things in the works for the future as well.
2: Well, that's a good good place to start. I mean, No Depression was the most successful publication for the particular genre of alternative country. How is it that you couldn't shift to a different kind of business? There there was just a story uh, the other day in Business Week about Pitchfork's annual revenues being something like $5 million. No Depression couldn't exist as a webzine in the new world?
1: Well that's one of the uh uh I mentioned that there were a couple ways we're going forward and that's one of the ways that we are going forward is transitioning to the web. What we are unsure about at present is just how viable and how possible that's going to be on the scale of how we did things in print. But I think in 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 talking about pitchfork it's a little bit like because they're you know they're pretty much the number one game in town for what they do. It's a little bit like trying to compare Rolling Stone to No Depression and the economics and how those types of publications at those different levels do business are entirely different.
3: Yeah. Well, I think the, it's important to note here that No Depression was into serious music journalism, and it's, uh, it's a question of you get what you pay for, basically, Peter, I would imagine um, – You could probably put out a magazine at a cut-rate price uh, where nobody really gets paid, and you would get cut-rate type of articles. But you guys were doing seriously in-depth pieces. And um, obviously, that's, to me, the most depressing aspect of of this, uh, no pun intended, is that uh, magazines who aren't involved in serious types of journalism, no matter what the subject, but we're dealing with music here in particular, seem to be getting priced out of the game. They can't do it
1: anymore. I do think, yeah, I do think it's getting harder. What what I see, just in general, is an overall sort of devaluation of the written word that's going on, and, and that, in that, what is becoming more viable to do is to present writing that's of less quality, and that disturbs me as well as a as as a longtime journalist and as one who you know reads and appreciates good journalism.
3: Are you you saying – do you you see it as a generational issue or is it something that's more widespread than that where where people who were committed to this kind of journalism and reading this kind of journalism have have stopped doing it as well? Or is it more of a a younger generation just not interested?
1: It at least seems somewhat a generational thing. There's no question that the people primarily turning to the web for news are the teens and people in their 20s but uh it, my my sense of people my generation or people in their 30s or 40s is that they're also sort of bemoaning this disappearance of print journalism that that they're not happy about it but there's not a lot that can be done about it in the in the business climate being being the way it is because there just doesn't seem to be the advertising to support the print publications anymore even though there are still the readers who want it. I mean, we didn't decide to close up because we weren't getting readers. Our, our, our readership and circulation numbers were pretty close to what they had always been. They had fallen a little bit as a result of stores like Tower closing down and independent record stores and bookstores closing down. But for the most part, it wasn't that people weren't reading it. It's just that, that advertising is, is very clearly either just being limited because of the economy and or shifting to the web.
3: Wow, I wish we had more optimism to, to say here. I mean, we're all, like, bummed out. I mean, here we are, a room full of journalists yeah, who well. made our living doing music journalism, and we're, uh, d- we're depressing each other, Peter. I'm, uh, I'm, sorry to, <laughs> I'm sorry we had to talk to you under such circumstances. But anyway, hats off to you. Fantastic job uh, with No Depression. It was a great, great magazine. The final print edition of No Depression is coming out with uh, Buddy Miller on the cover. And it's a sad day when something as good as No Depression ends.
1: Well, we do have uh, a, a plan also for um, continuing in print on a more limited scale. Uh, we've made a deal with the University of Texas Press to do a twice annual, what we're calling a bookazine. It's going to be sort of a combination between a book and a magazine. Whereas the website is going to focus more on shorter and smaller pieces. We're going to try to keep our our long form, more in depth pieces, going by uh, running them in, in this uh, in this bookazine.
2: Well, we wish you luck with all of those
3: endeavors, Peter. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. You are listening to Sound Opinions. One, two, three, four.
2: Greg, that, of course, is the immortal sound of the Ramones and the Ramones and some Ramones. We had this idea. I think it started with an email from a listener a while back saying, you know, sometimes you guys disaband for being derivative, doing the same thing over and over again. and Other times you loud them. For example, the Ramones and ACDC and Motorhead for sure. So we got to thinking about rather than one hit wonders... What is a great one-note wonder? There are some bands whose entire career, as Tim Gain of Stereolab once told me, we look at everything we do as a giant iceberg, and we just go in and we pick off a little ice at a time (laughs) to fill the glass. You know, they've made the same album, you know, two dozen times, but boy, it's a great album, and you're never sorry to get a new one from them.
3: It's a difficult trick to pull off, there's no doubt about it. And I think when we cite those three iconic bands, those are the bands that have done the most with the least over the longest period of time. Without a doubt, the Ramones had an extraordinary 25-year career basically playing those three chords or variations of those three chords in a very tight two- and three-minute box over and over again. But the songwriting was just so fantastic that they forged a career out of it. Anyone skeptical, I've said this before, I'll
2: say it again, you have to go out and buy a one CD best of called Ramones Mania. I mean,
3: it's like 30 tracks, they're all the same, and they are all brilliant. And it's fantastic. And then when you think about a band like ACDC, the Australian... Some people call them a heavy metal band. I think that's misspoken. I think they bridged uh, punk and, and metal. They were a hard rock band. They were a hard rock bar band. And it all came down to that Malcolm Young rhythm guitar for me every time. I mean, when that Malcolm Young rhythm guitar was in the mix, and it was throughout their career, they're still going strong, it's unbeatable. You love that sound. Listen to that sound.
4: See <laughs> me. TNT, I'm dynamite. TNT, and I win the fight. TNT, I'm a power load. TNT, watch me explode.
3: And then, last but not least, Jim, I think Motorhead, Lemmy Kilmeister is uh, is a genius of one thing, and that is the fast, loud metal song. Lemmy took that idea and and forged his own sound out of it and influenced so many bands Metallica, Slayer, that first wave of thrash metal. uh, They all owe a debt to Motorhead and yet Motorhead is still out there doing the same thing over and over again. When you listen to a song like this, it's an extraordinary example of, of, of what they did over and over again so well. It gets the adrenaline rush it has a melody to it but it's all about that speed and all about that commitment. Ace of Spades by Motorhead, one of the great songs from one of the great one note wonders of all time.
4: Double up or quit, double stake a split. The ace is fate. The ace is fate. You know I'm going to lose. the am with fools, but that's the way I like it, baby. I don't wanna live.
3: Ace of Spades by Motorhead on Sound Opinions. And what we're going to do here, Jim, is talk about bands that have made careers out of doing one thing really, really well. Well, those were our starting points. We agreed as we agree, only rarely,
2: on the three, (laughs) Ramones, Motorhead, and ACDC. We're going to go back and forth through the rest of the show with some of our picks, and we're going to hear from some callers later on who have their suggestions for OneNote Wonders. But my first, since I just mentioned this name a couple minutes ago, is Stereolab. Stereolab was formed in 1990 by guitarist Tim Gain, who had come from an indie pop band called McCarthy, and uh, his amour, French vocalist, and we both love this name, (laughs) Laetitia Sadier. They've gone through several lineups since and have released quite a few records. I think if you put in all the uh, rarities compilations, it might be almost two dozen records. They're all great as far as I'm concerned, and they are all based around various proportions at various times of this formula. Old analog synthesizers, the Moogs, the the really early 70s Moogs, that trademark Motorik beat of Noy, and we talked about that band just a couple of weeks ago when we buried their uh, drummer, Klaus Dinger. The hi-fi production tricks of 1950s space-age bachelor pad music records (laughs) and Laetitia's vocals, which are sometimes English sometimes French, and sometimes completely made up. But it all always sounds like Stereolab, and it's all always great. When it comes to the track to play, I think uh, we ought to turn to their mid-'90s album Mars Audiac Quintet, which was uh, released on Electro Records. They had a brief flirtation, as so many bands did in the mid-90s in the alternative era, with uh, being a major label act. This was never a major label band, but they had some money. So this is one of the best recorded of their uh, albums. It's uh, a track I'm going to play. is called Wow and Flutter by Stereolab on Sound Opinions. Wow and Flutter by Stereolab on Sound Opinions. Haven't heard a new album from them in, uh, in a couple of years. They've sort of slowed down since the tragic death of uh, Mary Hansen, one of the uh, backing singers and other instrumentalists. A couple of years ago was killed in a bicycle accident. But hopefully Stereolab is still out there and still chipping away at the giant block of music.
3: Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to continue honoring our great One Note Wonders. Then Jim and I are going to review the new album from Madonna i Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're in the midst of our one-note wonders, bands that have made entire careers out of doing one thing very well, and I think that's a pretty good example right there that you're hearing Rage Against the Machine three studio albums basically interchangeable especially the first two records i mean i dare you to to find the difference between those two (laughs) albums uh but they do it very well basic three four-minute songs zach della rocca is basically a rapper not a singer tom Morello is an incredibly inventive guitar player and he's the one wild card in the band what different thing is tom Morello going to make his guitar sound like so that's the only wild card but otherwise the sound is pretty much the same album to album song to song and here's another example, flipping 180 degrees, I can't think of a more directly opposite band in Rage Against the Machine than the Cocked Out Twins from Scotland, who basically made a career out of one great sound, a trio. Elizabeth Fraser on vocals, Robin Guthrie and Simone Ramon basically created all the music. Songs Who needs songs When it sounds this beautiful It's it's basically a sound I remember spending A couple of concerts with them They played the Riviera in Chicago Back in the early 90s A couple of times And just feeling like It was one long Beautiful song A
2: lush cocoon of sound
3: Absolutely rapturous The sound was just Just beautiful Enveloping you I interviewed Elizabeth Fraser a few times, and uh, believe it or not, she speaks fairly coherently because you cannot make out a single lyric no, <laughs> that no, she no. is singing. Another <laughs> alien language like Stereolab, and she would laugh about it. You're not really singing in in uh, in a language that we understand or is known to mankind, and she would just laugh it off. And I think she liked the air of mystery yeah. that surrounded the band. The fact that nobody really could make out what it was they were singing about. There was just this beautiful sound, and here's a great example of it from their album or Las Vegas, which was released in 1990 as a song called Cherry Colored Funk from the Cocktail Twins on Sound Opinions. That's the Cocktail Twins with cherry-colored funk from their Heaven or Las Vegas record, one of nine albums they put out over the course of about 14 years, and every one of them sounds pretty much the same, and they're all great. Yeah, they put out a box set at one point. It was just this big <laughs> block
2: of cocktail. You need that. It's a great thing. Uh, we wanted to get some callers' ideas about uh, great one-note wonders. We've got Mary from Chicago on the line. Mary, welcome to Sound Opinions.
5: Thank you very much.
2: What is your pick for a uh, one-note wonder?
5: Well, my pick is the Smiths. They're my very first, like, my first favorite band when I was a kid. I loved The Smiths more than anything, so I'm not saying anything negative about The Smiths, but I will say that The Smiths really do speak to a teenager insofar that it's all mopey, and Morris he's pretty much sings the entire time about how he's unlovable and how he's <laughs> hideous.
2: It's true. We could we could probably come up with a computer program of about 15 or 20 adjectives and like choose one. Right. And now now reference a Oscar Wilde or B, you know, whatever. And, and, and we could write all of the Smith's catalog that way.
5: That could continue into Morrissey's solo career as well.
3: Well, yeah, I think the one, the one invent, really, I mean, I, I like Morrissey. I, I loved his lyrics. I thought he was a really droll, funny guy. But I, I think the, the really inventive guy in the band was Johnny Marr, and some of this stuff was kind of lost because everybody thought, well, Morrissey's kind of a one-trick pony in what he sings about. But
5: well, And I would actually agree with that, and I would even go so far to say that you've got Morrissey's lyrics, which are, you know, so miserable and how the whole world hates him. But I would have to say, arguably, every single guitar lick that Johnny Marr wrote for the Smiths was one of the sexiest, <laughs> you know, most compelling, driving, at times funny and, you know, beautiful up against, you know, the misery of Morrissey. I kind of think they made great foils for each other. Absolutely.
2: All right. Give us give us a good example and we'll hear some uh, Smiths.
5: Um, well, a good example, I would say, would be um, Reel Around the Fountain, actually.
2: Thanks for being on Sound Opinions, Mary.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
3: We have another caller, Nico, in New York. Nico, welcome to Sound Opinions.
6: Hey, how you doing?
3: Good. So, uh, One Note Wonders—bands that have uh, sustained entire careers on doing one thing really well. What's your nomination?
6: My nomination is Creedence Clearwater Revival.
2: Oh, yeah. That's a good one. And tell us why. Make the case, Nico.
6: <laughs> well, you know, actually, the other week I was at uh, my wife's company's talent show, and they had a few cover bands playing. And uh, this really great band was up there, and they started playing this song. And I heard, you know, this really great mid-tempo, lazy groove, and I'm like, man, that's definitely Creedence. But I have no idea which song. <laughs> and I realized that that is kind of a common thing with Creedence Colorado Revival is, you know, you hear a song come on. It's got that, that lazy mid-tempo beat kind of chugging along. And you don't necessarily know what song it is until you get to the chorus and you say, oh, man, that's the song. I love that song. <laughs> And it turns out they were playing uh, Born on the Bayou. But it it could have easily been, you know, Run Through the Jungle or Green River or Proud Mary. Favorite
2: son, yeah. 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 Well, and of course, the the big tragedy of John Fogarty's life is when he ran into legal problems later with his first record company that was uh, taking him to task and suing him for sounding like John Fogarty, which is when you are a one-note
6: wonder, you're really (laughs) stuck. Because
2: then what else do you sound like? (laughs) Oh, I'll take up the cello now,
6: maybe. Right, right, right. And, you know, I was talking about this uh, with a buddy of mine, and he said, um, he said, no, 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 I take umbrage with that. Creedence has two gears. He said, (laughs) they have a low mid-tempo and high (laughs) (laughs) mid-tempo. Let's
2: hear some Creedence as an example.
3: Yeah, I think you're right, Nico. A bunch of Northern California guys trying to sound like they were born in the bayou. Swampy rock sound. Um, They definitely had a sound. And, And I think the beauty of it is that within a handful of notes, you can tell who it is, just like you could tell... When you heard that band the other day, you know, you you hear a few notes and you go, that's Creedence, which I think is uh, is commendable in some ways.
6: It didn't even matter that it was the same song over and over again. <laughs> Everyone was great, you know? Yeah, if it's a great song, it's a great song, Yeah, right? exactly.
3: Absolutely. Thanks, well, thank Nico. You. Thank
6: you, Nico. All right, thanks, guys.
3: Uh, Some great picks from our listeners, Jim. We are hitting on those one-note wonders, bands that have made tremendous careers out of doing one thing very well. And it's your turn, Jim, to pick one.
2: Greg, I think I'm going to go with the strokes. I've been listening to these guys again recently because of the number of times their name has been invoked in articles about Vampire Weekend, (laughs) both bands from New York, right? both bands that came from elite upbringings. Julian Casablancas came from some money. His father was uh, big in the fashion world, and the guys in Vampire Weekend are all privileged preppies they have nothing else in common though Uh, the Strokes you know Casablanca's had a pretty hard upbringing father was absent for much of the time was a lot more in common with Kurt Cobain than with Vampire Weekend and they were they were not guys who went around bragging about how lucky they were the Strokes would shed for more than a year practicing 10 hours a day every day in this little rehearsal room which I visited which was hell and their pipes (laughs) were leaking on them and it was tiny and it was small and they were perfecting a very particular formula that was all about the rhythm people I think always focused on Casablanca's and that kind of droll Lou Reed-like delivery where it was never very excited. But it was really about the interplay between the rhythm guitars and the rhythm section, the drums in particular. Fabrizio Moretti, one of the great (laughs) drummers of all time. Love that name. Best name of all time. I mean, man, what a guy. It was that sound of the subway speeding through the New York tunnels. You heard that in the Velvet Underground early on They were a major touchstone for the Strokes The Strokes, I think, cleaned it up, polished it up Made it very pristine, but but not in a gaudy way I mean, just very clean and sleek It was a modern Subway, as opposed to the old (laughs) Rotten one I just think it was a great formula I can never get enough of that rhythm You always know it's trouble Jason Saldana, one of our producers, loves this band And we were going back and forth We could have played like 20 Strokes tracks We decided to play Last Night I love that rhythm. It's the strokes last
3: night on Sound Opinions. Greg, you got another one-note wonder pick for us? Absolutely, Jim. Let's go to uh, another New York City band, but this time back from the early 80s. The band that basically put hardcore hip-hop on the map and really created a template for that sound. Before these guys came along, uh, hip-hop had basically been party music and uh, kind of the outlandish outfits uh, left over from the disco era, even Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five kind of wore these kind of of funky little outfits, so you were kind of wondering, are these guys really serious about what they're doing, even though they did some serious music? These guys run DMC, put Mm -hmm. hip-hop, the look, the image, the style, the street, they incorporated all of that, and you could hear it in their sound, raw, minimalist, stripped down, a drum machine two voices, a DJ, and that was it. That was the sound that Run-DMC pioneered on basically their first four albums, which are totally interchangeable and totally great. I'm going to play a track from their third album, but you could have played a a track from, as I said, any one of their first four albums, and you wouldn't have gotten the the sense of what they were about. The production was minimalist. It was all about that big beat, those tag-team vocals between Joseph Run-Simmons and Daryl DMC McDaniels, uh, Jam Master Jay Mizell, as the DJ, was cutting up the beats. It was all about being in your face. Before that, hip-hop had not had that sort of sense of aggression that the rock and punk worlds were coming from. And anybody who was sort of listening to punk rock at the time, I think, could really identify with Run DMC. And it was one of the big reasons why this group crossed over to a white audience in a big way. So here's a great track from uh, Hell, their third record. It's called It's Tricky from Run DMC on Sound Opinions.
4: This speech
0: is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top of the <laughs> Here we go. It's tricky to rock around. And rock of rhyme I said, I said it's not
3: tricky from run dmc one of the great one note wonder bands of all time we're going to be back with more of our one note wonder picks but uh, first uh, you can give us a call at 1-888-859-1800 with your nominations or send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. back in a minute on sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media
0: when i wake up people take up mostly all of my time i'm not singing keep ringing. with me it's change to rock
2: On Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, boy, we love that song. That is <laughs> that is "Upside Down," which was the very first Jesus and Mary Chain single, one of the earliest releases by Creation Records in the UK. Made. The Career of the Mary Chain, everything they did after that and to this day since they're reunited sounds pretty much <laughs> like that and made cre- creation records, uh, made Oasis possible. So maybe we should blame the Reed <laughs> brothers from Glasgow for that. But, boy, is that a great sound. Uh, let's hear another great sound, another great choice for a one-note wonder. We've got Megan on the line from Chicago. Megan,
3: welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi. So, one-hit wonders—bands uh, that have sustained careers with basically doing one thing. Who's your nomination?
7: Uh, I'm going to nominate Beirut. Beirut, Beirut. okay.
2: Yes. I don't know if Beirut is is enough of a household name to be a one-note wonder. Okay, but make your case. Well, yeah, make the case. You convince us.
7: All right, all right. So, Beirut has put out two full-length albums. The the first album is supposed to be this gypsy-sounding album, the kind of Eastern European. And the next one is supposed to be different. It's uh, supposed to be more like French-Parisian. But they both use, most of the songs, the majority of them use the same formula. And mm-hmm. what's the,
2: how would you sum up the formula? All
7: right, so it starts out with one, maybe two instruments kind of playing this soft accompaniment. And then the vocals come in and there are these long, languid vocals.
4: The times we had, oh, in the way.
7: whole band comes in kind of like real strong and there's this boozy kind of punch drunk trumpet and brass section and the thing that is kind of amazing about it to me is like you listen to them and you realize that there's the same formula but it kind of surprises you every time
2: mm-hmm. so All right, i think anything that you can chart out that effectively it's like when you go to the board in English class in high school and you chart out the diagram, right? <laughs> right. But I think any any musical formula you can chart out as well as you just did qualifies. All right. Well, we finally got Beirut on sound opinions. That's, oh, that's awesome. quite a service. <laughs> thank you, uh, Megan.
7: All right, thank you.
3: Jim, we're down to our final One Note Wonder Bands. What's your final pick?
2: Well, Greg, if you notice, basically every band I've played has been uh, obviously a one-note wonder, but also deriving in part from the Velvet Underground, who were not one-note wonders. I mean, even the first album, right. you know, the Sunday Morning, but also Venus and Furs, right? However, this band was so influential and had so many different sounds that lots of one-note wonders have picked up one of those notes and made an entire career out of it. Certainly, Stereo Lab and uh, The Strokes and Jesus and Mary Chain. I'm going to do one more on a very different kind of tempo and uh, volume level Galaxy 500 this band has been hugely influential in its own right the entire what they call the slow core movement (laughs) owes its career to what Galaxy 500 did in the mid to late 80s they broke up in 1990 they were formed at Harvard University by singer Damon Krakowski and uh, bassist Naomi Yang And we've talked about Damon and Naomi's subsequent records and vocalist and guitarist Dean Wareham who would go on to lead Luna is now with Dean and Britta we've talked about Him as well. He's just put out a really good nonfiction account of his years in the band. They made uh, three great albums and assorted other uh, EPs and stuff. They have a box set as well. It all sounds the same. It's (laughs) it's all that Velvet Underground of Candy Says and Sunday Morning and Pale Blue Eyes, that slow, creepy Velvet sound with tons and tons of reverb on everything dragged out. This Time seems to slow down. Everything happens, you know, like in The Matrix when the guy's dodging bullets? (laughs) That's what Galaxy 500 is like. And it's a mystical and entrancing sound. I love it. I love everything they ever did. I wish they could reconcile and get back together. But in the meantime, I have their albums. This is from the first one. It's called King of Spain on Sound Opinions.
4: You know I am the King of Spain.
2: that beautiful gray galaxy 500 king of Spain
3: so one more one note wonder for me as well Jim and I'm going to draw on one of my favorite Characters In rock, Uh, David Yao, who was in a great acid punk band called Scratch Acid uh, back in the 80s in Texas And is most recently in a band called Quee that is uh, drawing on his previous bands But uh, my favorite incarnation of David Yao And a band that kept making the same record basically over and over again And it was a great record, was the Jesus Lizard Particularly when Mac McNeely joined the band early on, uh, on drums To join guitarist Dwayne Dennison and bassist David William Sims What a great lineup. I think an underrated sense of swing. People said it was one song, but man, what a great song. It swung like an anvil. And Yao was this spewing, frothing, he was a drunk run amok at a party. Remember the uh, Robert De Niro character Max Cady in that Martin Scorsese remake of Cape Fear? (laughs) Yeah. That's what David Yao reminds me of Yeah, or maybe in Taxi Driver when De Niro goes insane and starts shooting up the joint. Sure, but uh, the records they made with Steve Albini in in Chicago in the early 90s were were a fascinating study of just aggression and this Yao character playing all these different personas, none of which were uh, particularly uh, kindly. great example of it from, I think, their best album called Liar. From the early 90s and a truck called Gladiator from Jesus Lizard on Sound Opinions. last of our One Note Wonders for this edition of Sound Opinions Anyway, that is The Jesus Lizard with uh, a track called Gladiator. Now, I'm with you on the Jesus Lizard being a great band, Greg, but
2: yeah. I, I never liked them on record. I think you had to see them live. Sure. I think the next time we do this show, we have to do a variation. <laughs> we call it You Had to Be There, yeah. bands that were brilliant live, but the records don't matter. What do you think, right? Yeah,
3: I don't know. I, I disagree with you on Jesus Lizard. I think their records were, were I mean, amazing. We've been that, having that fight for yeah.
2: 15 years. Here is another artist that is not a one-note wonder. In fact, I've always claimed that she is the distaff David Bowie, the chameleon of dance pop. I mean, of course, Madonna. Yes, that is Four Minutes, the uh, first single from Madonna's 11th album, the new release, Hard Candy, on Sound Opinions. She's duetting there at one point with Justin Timberlake, and that's a track that's produced by Greg's favorite producer in the world, <laughs> Timberland. Over the last quarter century, she has sold 250 million albums worldwide. She is, to the pop charts, what McDonald's is to hamburgers. No two ways about it, Okay. A couple of months ago, she signed one of these new three hundred sixty mega deals with Live Nation, the corporate giant. And this is gonna last for the next ten years. It's worth an estimated hundred and twenty million. Madonna has got to justify Live Nation's love. Jim, you say, did her last album, Confessions on a Dance Floor, <laughs> not sell twelve million copies in two thousand and five? Yes, it did. But an interesting statistic, Greg, only two million, one seventh sold in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. The U.S. is kind of sick of Madonna. Confessions was a very Brit-afflicted album, and it was produced by a British producer, Stuart Price. Madonna's formula for success has always been to raid the dance underground of the moment and come up with a as yet largely unknown in the mainstream producer, who will craft her new sounds. I'm talking about giants like Jellybean Benitez, William Orbit, great people, even Stuart Price. Who does she turn to this time? Timbaland and Pharrell Williams of the Neptunes. What has Maddie given us? Let's hear one of the tracks from the new album. This is called She's Not Me by Madonna on Sound Opinions.
4: I should have seen the
3: Not Me from the new Madonna record called Hard Candy, the 11th studio album of a career that uh, spans 25 years. It seems like she's been around forever. Keeps reinventing herself. On this particular track, Madonna's taken a shot at what appears to be all the challengers to her throne yes. as the self-proclaimed <laughs> queen of pop. You know, she's not me. She doesn't have my name. She'll never have what I have. It won't be the same. Well, geez, her
2: producers, you know, the guys (laughs) she's
3: working with on this record
2: have produced Nelly Furtado, Britney Spears, Gwen Stefani. We know who she's talking
3: about. Well, it's interesting. You know, some people are interpreting this as her anti-Britney rant. It could be. Maybe it's not. Far be it from me to interpret what's going on in Madonna's head besides the fact that she wants to keep making more and more money. Her emphasis on being at the top of the heap has overtaken whatever artistry she may have on this particular record. Hmm. Uh, For the first time, I see her catering to the charts to the nth degree. I think it started to creep in on her last record. For the
2: first time?
3: I, I think she was always ahead of the game. Now she's looking at the mainstream, seeing what's hot, and, and picking from there. I mean, let's face it, these are not adventurous choices as producers. Timbaland, Justin Timberlake as a songwriting collaborator, the Neptunes as producers, they all sound kind of bored with each other. No! They don't sound too inspired to be working with each other. This is a very glossy High-level pop record. Don't get me wrong. She's done a very professional job of craftsmanship. But the old button pusher Madonna is gone. She's not there anymore. She's old now. And it she's started, 50. Started to creep in on that last record, Confessions on a Dance Floor, where it was retro Madonna. The innovative days of Madonna are done. And like, I, innovative she has made...
2: You know, she was never innovative. She was always a plunderer. Shocked. I am shocked that you do not like this record. Because I think this is a lot of fun. I have not had fun with a Madonna oh, record my God. since 1992. It's all about the grooves, Greg. I mean, we get this all the time. Well, it's all about the grooves. You guys just don't understand. I've long since given up expecting anything more from Madonna. She's the world's worst lyricist. But I think both of these production teams are working on something that is sort of a generic 70s disco meets 90s techno kind of party hardy groove. As McDonald's goes, this is a Big Mac. I would buy this album. I Uh, like this album.
3: Man, I I tell you, Stuart Price was a lot hungrier on that last record, Confessions on a Dance Floor. It was retro Madonna, but She was working with a producer who who was trying to prove himself. She's working with a bunch of guys who've already proven themselves, and they've done much better work with that current crop of divas that she's dissing on this record. I think this is a boring Madonna record, and I think it's a trash it. Wow! So we couldn't be more split on you, Madonna. Trash it from me. Buy it from Jim. Next week, we have an artist that we both agree on. Uh, Avant pop performer Laurie Anderson is going to be our guest for an extensive interview looking back on her great career. As always, Sound
2: Opinions was brought to you by the Ace Production team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, And Dave, the intern Mahler, who uh, this is his last week. Farewell, Dave. We wish you well in your future endeavors. Please don't go into rock criticism. As you can see, <laughs> it's a, a job? <laughs> it's a dead end. Uh, oh, yeah, our executive producer and fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia, who thinks it was really all downhill for Madonna after bedtime stories. I don't know what he means.
3: On sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline 1 888
4: 859 1800.
5: New messages. Hi.
7: Lavnia. I'm a student at Bryn Mawr College in Pennsylvania, and I just listened to your podcast with Tim Flight, and I was really excited to hear that, um, because for the past couple weeks, I've been listening to over-the-counter culture almost nonstop. This is not
0: the dog. It is dog dope under your coat. Look at the dog. Look at that one go. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at him, man. You got a bug on your back. Break these palms, break these pines, break these lungs, break these lines, break these looks, break these links, break these hooks, break this heat, break these rocks.
7: For some reason, it's uh, the Pennsylvania primaries tomorrow, but that particular album just reaffirmed the need for me to go out and vote. And I thought it was pretty awesome that term fight came on um, right before the primaries.
1: Hey guys, this is uh, Matt from Oakland, California. And uh, I was just thinking about the last couple of episodes
6: uh, where you reviewed this Dysphere, which I very
1: greatly appreciate. As well, you had one episode about campaign songs, and I thought it would be awesome if Obama would use this fear testament.
4: We dream of Boston, of a We are too young for mercy We are the
1: revolution I think that's an excellent one, and it might kick his campaign up a notch. It's more people uh, fired up to vote. Yep, that's it. Love your show. Have a good time. All right,
6: bye. Hi, my name's Andrew. I'm calling from Chicago. Just listened to your uh, wonderful Ray Davies interview. I saw his performance, uh, his free performance at Grand Park last summer, and I was utterly overwhelmed at how everyone in the audience of any age, any and every age, seemed to. The lyrics to every song played.
4: We are the Village Green Preservation Society. God save the whole duck, for the bill and variety. We are the Desperate Damn Appreciation Society. God save Straw.
6: Keep up the good work, guys. Hi, this is Tim calling from Richmond, Virginia. I was really excited to hear your enthusiastic review of the new Nick Caves and the Bad Seeds record. I've not been a fan of Nick Caves, but for the last two years, because 15 or 20 years ago when I first heard them, I sort of thought, okay, well, I read Faulkner in high school too. What's the big deal? It was like he was uh, lifting all these idioms from Southern Gothic novels, just kind of singing them over a punk song, and it just didn't strike me as being all that authentic. But somewhere along the line, and I I placed it at his record, uh, The Boatman's Call, he kind of came into his own. He took all of that stuff that he
1: had been digesting and made it his. People
4: just ain't no good A thing that's well understood You can see it everywhere you look
1: I just think he has become one of the truly, truly great artistic voices of our era. So thanks for the review. Thanks for the show. Take care.
4: No
7: more messages.
2: To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, Call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.